Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 through 13. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. In his book, The Power of Regret, Daniel Pink tells the story of Jeff Bosley. When Jeff was 29 years old, he decided he wanted to get a tattoo. And so he went to a tattoo shop, and with the tattoo artist, they together opened up Microsoft Word and chose the papyrus font. And for about $100, the artist inked nine black letters on his arm. No regrets. Now, statistically, about one out of every five people who gets a tattoo eventually ends up regretting their decision. And Jeff was one of those. He realized later in life that he had plenty of regrets. He regretted not taking college more seriously. He regretted hurting his wife by seeking a divorce. He regretted not pursuing his lifelong love of acting. And of course, he regretted that horrible tattoo. But he also realized this. He said, you know, I do have regrets, but it fuels me. Regrets suck, but I like that better than people who say no regrets. This is what Daniel Pink calls the power of regret. There's a certain type of regret that rather than being a negative thing can actually make us better. And here's the key. If your regret leads you to make a genuine change in your life, in your attitudes, your habits, your desires, then it can make you better. Prodded by his regret, Jeff Bosley eventually moved to Southern California and is now making his living as an actor. And taunted by this horrible tattoo, he decided to get it removed. You can imagine the humor in that. He says that every time he goes to the removal place and there's a new nurse or technician, he says to them, I get it. The joke is not lost on me. You hear it everywhere. There are songs sung by, uh, called No Regrets, sung by artists ranging from Ella Fitzgerald to Eminem. Angelina Jolie says, I don't believe in regrets. Even pastors say it. Vincent Peale, who was one of the most influential theologians or uh, pastors of the 20th century, pastored right here in Marble Collegiate Church on 29th and 5th, he said, leave no room for regrets. But I don't know about you, but like Jeff Bosley, I have plenty of regrets. I regret not going to a different college when I had the chance. I regret the times that I'm unkind towards my wife. One of my biggest regrets of this past year is not being more patient with and attentive to my son. And I regret every day the ways that I sin against God. 
But the good news for those of us who have regrets is that there is a type of regret that can make us better and in fact leads to our salvation. Thousands of years before Jeff Bosley regretted his tattoo or before Daniel Pink wrote his book, the Apostle Paul said this. This is the main point of our sermon today. If your regret, what Paul calls godly grief, if your regret leads you to repentance, then it brings about salvation without regret. If your regret leads you to repentance, to a genuine change in your life, it brings about salvation without regret. So let's dig into it. We're going to focus today on verse 10. And in this verse, Paul describes two different kinds of regret. Take a look on the screen. It says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly regret or worldly grief produces death. So the first type of regret is what Paul calls here worldly grief. And he says in verse 9 that this is the kind of grief and kind of regret that the Corinthian church felt. And here's what happened. This is what godly regret looks like. There was a man in the church who had wronged the Apostle Paul. And we don't know exactly what he did, but we know that the church should have enacted church discipline against him, but they didn't. As a quick side note, what is church discipline? Church discipline looks like having serious conversations with someone who is not repenting of their sin and begging for them to repent. These are the conversations that the church should have been having with this man, but they didn't. And so because of that, the Apostle Paul wrote to them a letter rebuking them for their failure to act. And this isn't a letter that we have today. It's not a part of the inspired word of God, but we know about this letter from this passage and from a couple others. And this letter was apparently so severe that Paul even regretted writing it for a time because he saw how it had grieved the church. But because of this letter, the church came to see their wrong. They regretted not standing up for Paul and disciplining the man like they should have. And here's the key. Their regret led them to repentance. They ended up disciplining the man like they should have. That's godly regret. It's regret that leads to a real change in your life. Godly regret, as it says in this verse, produces repentance. This is the kind of regret that Daniel Pink has in mind when he talks about the power of regret. It's the kind of regret that drives you to pick up, take everything you own, and move across the country to Southern California. It's the kind of regret that leads you to endure the pain and the cost of getting that tattoo removed. It's the kind of regret that leads you to pick up the phone and call the person whom you've wronged. It's the kind of regret that leads you to get up early in the morning and earnestly pray for God to change your heart. It doesn't mean that we repent perfectly, but it means that we make an earnest effort to do so and we ask for God's help. The second type of regret is worldly regret. And worldly regret is like this. How many of you have regretted doing something wrong, saying, speaking unkindly to a, a coworker or to a colleague or a friend, uh, and then you did nothing about it? The rest of you should all regret lying to your pastor right now. <laughs> of 
course, we all know what it's like to feel regret for a moment, but then do nothing about it. We feel a certain amount of remorse for speaking unkindly, but then it leaves our mind just as quickly as it can. We don't ask for forgiveness, and we don't give any kind of thought to how we might act differently next time. This is what Paul calls worldly grief or worldly regret. It's regret that doesn't lead to any change in your life. The difference between godly regret and worldly regret isn't in how we feel. We might feel sorry for our sin. We may even make us sick to think about it. But if those feelings don't lead to a change in our attitudes and actions, then it's not godly regret. Sometimes the reason that, we don't, uh, that our regret doesn't lead to any real change is because we don't so much regret what we did or didn't do, so much as that we regret getting caught. So we don't regret taking a shortcut on that project so much as we regret that we got caught. Or we don't regret speaking unkindly to our boss so much as we regret that she found out. And so we might make some superficial changes to our actions, but only when we fear that we might get caught. It's not a genuine change. Worldly regret is also the kind of regret that an abuser may show. They may express a certain amount of sorrow, but at best, it's sorrow about the consequences. At its worst, it's nothing more than manipulation. It's an attempt to deceive you and others into thinking that they've repented in order to get what they want. If you've experienced a relationship like that or you wonder if you might be in one now, please reach out to me or one of the other pastors or the elders. We're here to help and to get you the help that you need. There are two kinds of regret, godly regret and worldly regret. And the difference between them is that one leads to real change and the other does not. And these two different types of regret lead to two very different outcomes as well. Look again at verse 10. For godly grief or godly regret produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. The result of godly regret is salvation without regret. And here's what this looked like for the Corinthian church. So remember, Paul wrote to them this letter rebuking them for their failure to act against this man who had done this wrong. And this letter grieved the church. They felt a godly regret that drove them to repentance, which meant that they did discipline the offender. They had these serious conversations with him like they should have. And when they do that, he too feels a godly regret, and it leads to his repentance. We learn that from chapter 2. And so check out all these layers of reconciliation. You know, we're so used to conflict that ends in a broken relationship, whether it's something we see on TV or in our own lives. But it's not what happened here. It must have been so beautiful to experience this. This is what happened. In the end, the one who wronged Paul is restored to Paul, to the church, and to God. And the church is restored to Paul and to God. The whole church went from being estranged to being reconciled. What an incredible outcome. And the turning point was that they felt a godly regret that produced in them repentance 
and that led to their salvation without regret. Here's another story of what the outcome of godly regret can be. I still remember uh, a married couple from the first full-time job I had at a church. They were, I think, probably in their 40s at the time. They had two older kids, and they, at this point, had been unhappily married for years. So eventually, it came to head, and they were planning to get a divorce, but then they decided to seek marriage counseling. And after a lot of hard work, after their regret led them to make real changes in the relationship, they reconciled. And they decided to have a recommitment ceremony. And I remember how special it was to be there and to see them reaffirm their vows before their friends and family. Such a moving experience. That was a little over 10 years ago, and next month they're going to celebrate their 22-year anniversary. That's the outcome of godly regret. If you repent of your sin before God and before those whom you have wronged, it leads to salvation without regret. I can promise you this. You won't regret your godly regret. I mean, do you think that couple regrets reconciling? Have you ever regretted seeking reconciliation with someone who you've wronged? I haven't. I only ever regret not humbling myself and asking for forgiveness. It's always worth it to apologize to my wife and to enjoy a sweeter friendship with her. I never regret that. I only regret failing to do it sooner. And how much more in our relationship with God I can promise you that you'll never regret repenting before him. It's always worth humbling ourselves and asking for his forgiveness that we might enjoy a closer walk with him. If your regret leads to repentance, it brings about salvation without regret. Worldly regret, on the other hand, has a very different outcome. Look at verse 10 again. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief or worldly regret produces death. Instead of salvation without regret, worldly regret leads to only more regret and to death. It's like when you find yourself falling into the same patterns over and over again. Maybe you've experienced this in an addiction to alcohol or another drug. This can happen with any sin in our lives. We feel a certain amount of regret, but then we're right back at it. We just dig ourselves a deeper and deeper hole. It's like adding more and more ink to that tattoo. Deeper and deeper. Bolder and bolder. If your regret doesn't lead to change, you get caught in a cycle of death. And when we're talking about our relationship with God, we're not just talking about regretting a bad tattoo. We're talking about eternal regret. And so here's the choice before you today. When you take an honest look at your life and you see things that you regret, will you feel a worldly regret? 
Will you feel remorse for a moment, but then allow it to leave your mind just as quickly as it came? Will you live by the mantra, no regrets? Or will you feel a godly regret? Will you acknowledge your regret and let that propel you to real change, to repenting before God and those whom you have wronged? This is the same choice that was before the Corinthian church when Paul wrote to them. He rebuked the church because he desired for them to feel a godly regret so that they might not experience death and more regret, but that they might experience salvation without regret. Look what he says in verse 12. This, he says, is why he wrote to them. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. That is, in order that you might repent and be reconciled to me and to God. Therefore, we are comforted. Paul wrote to them because it pained him to see them separated from him and to see them living in sin. He yearned for them to be reconciled to himself and to God. And did you notice this? When they finally did repent, the main thing he wants to tell them is that it's brought him tremendous comfort. It's actually the main point of verses 8 through 13. We're focusing on verse 10, but the main point of this passage is this last verse. Therefore, we are comforted. The main point is not that the Corinthians repent and Paul feels justified, although he certainly is. The main point is that Paul feels comforted. That's love. Paul is so emotionally invested in the church that when they're reconciled to him, the chief thing he feels is comfort. We get a glimpse into his love for the church back in chapter 2 as well. In chapter 2, he tells the church that when he wrote to rebuke them, he did it, quote, out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. When we see a brother or sister in Christ caught in sin, the most loving thing we can do is not to give them space, but to humbly, with many tears, beg for them to repent. That's what Paul did for the church here. He didn't have to. They had rejected him. He left town. Think of how easy it would have been for him to just write them off. And it's the Apostle Paul who would have questioned him. But he doesn't. He wrote to them because of his abundant love for them. And he rebuked them that they might experience a godly regret and so have salvation without regret. And here's the thing. That's the kind of abundant love that God has for you, too. He doesn't give up on you. Though we ignore him, reject him, even despise him, he pursues us with his love. Just as Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church, so God has given us his inspired word that we might know his abundant love, repent of our sin, and so experience salvation 
without regret. Far more than Paul longed for the Corinthian church to be reconciled to himself, Jesus longs for you to be reconciled to him. He so longs for you that he earnestly, with zeal, out of much affliction, gave his life for you. And because he did, if you turn to him with a godly regret, he will run to you with open arms. So what does this godly regret look like in our everyday lives? What does it look like to turn to God that we might experience salvation without regret? Was part of his research for his book, The Power of Regret, Daniel Pink created two surveys, the American Regret Project and the World Regret Survey. And from his research, he divided regret into four different categories. I think these categories are helpful as we seek to apply this passage to our lives. So let's take a look at them. According to Pink, the category of regret that we feel most often is connection regrets. We regret fractured or unrealized relationships. Could be with a partner, a parent, a sibling, a friend, a colleague, etc. Maybe you can identify with uh, some of these regrets. So these are real regrets from these, this survey. Real people said these. He passed away seven, oh sorry, in context of this is, uh, this is somebody who uh, is an older man and he said he never developed a strong relationship with his father. He said he passed away 17 years ago and I often regret not having a beer with him as adult men. Or here's another. I regret letting good friends drift away by not staying in touch. Not taking time to be a better friend, sister, daughter. Letting time slip away and suddenly realizing that I'm 48. The regret that the Corinthian church felt was a connection regret. They regretted not standing up for Paul and as a result, fracturing their relationship with him and with God. So what does a godly connection regret look like? What does it look like to have these connection regrets drive us to repentance? Well, first, when you feel a connection regret, ask yourself, what is there for which I need to repent of? Do I need to ask forgiveness for being unkind or was I unforgiving towards this other person? Did I prioritize work or something else when I should have been prioritizing this relationship? Examine yourself and then ask for forgiveness if you can. And even if you've been out of contact for years, you might be surprised how receptive they can be. And second, confess these things before God. Just as the godly regret of the Corinthian church led to reconciliation both with Paul and God, so too let your regrets lead you to repent both before those whom you have wronged and before God. Confess to God the ways that you mistreated this person or took them for granted and ask him to make you a better friend moving forward. The second category of regret is what Pink calls foundation regrets. These regrets sound like, if only I'd done the work. Maybe some of these uh, sound familiar. Thinking that working 18 hours a day, six days a week when I first started out would help me become successful. Instead, I destroyed my marriage and almost my health. I drank way too much in my early 20s. I regret not saving money diligently ever since I started working. 
I regret that I did not take my college years more seriously. Rather than thinking of the future, I spent too much time enjoying the present. We can see how the Corinthian church's regret could have become a foundation regret. If they had continued to neglect to put in the hard work to discipline the man who had wronged Paul, it would have led to the demise of the church. So what does a godly foundation regret look like? Well, it could, like, it could look like confessing to God any lack of wisdom, self-indulgence, laziness, selfishness, and asking him to instead make you a person marked by faithfulness, wisdom, and sacrificial love. By his spirit, he has the power to do that in you. There's a Chinese proverb that says, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is today. By God's mercy, that is true of our regrets. His mercies are new every morning. It's never too late to repent. Ping's third category of regret is boldness regrets. And these sound like, if only I'd taken the risk. Here are some boldness regrets. I regret not taking more chances and being so shy. Exilic eyes, look at this next one here. That I didn't ask her out. It would have been life-changing. I regret not having the courage to be more bold earlier in my career and caring too much about what other people thought of me. Not leaving my safe job to follow my instincts and try to stay true to my core values earlier. We can see how the Corinthians' regret could partly fit into the, or could partly fit into this category as well. Instead of risking standing up for Paul, instead of risking awkwardness or backlash, they took the route that seemed safer or easier at the time. They capitulated and tried to ignore this wrong or to be okay with it. It's a temptation for all of us people-pleasers. So what does a godly boldness regret look like? It probably looks like asking God to forgive our fear of man and our lack of trust in him and asking him to instead grow our faith in his power and protection. The final category that Pink gives is moral regrets. Here are a couple examples of those. I began an extramarital affair that cost me my integrity, job, and friendships, and almost cost me my family, a master's degree, and my faith. I made fun of a kid in middle school. Pink puts regrets like these in a separate category, but really we can see how most, if not all, of our regrets have a moral core. We either did something that we shouldn't have, or we didn't do something that we should have, and now we regret it. And so just like our connection, foundation, and boldness regrets, a godly moral regret looks like two things. First, asking for forgiveness and seeking reconciliation with those whom we've wronged. And second, coming before God, asking for forgiveness, and pleading for His Spirit to change our hearts. But here's the problem with all of this. The problem is that even at its best, our regret is a mixture of godly and worldly regret. Even our purest repentance is like drinking cloudy, smelly water. Our earnestness fades like a flower. 
Our fear of God turns to presumption about his mercy. Our longing to be reconciled fades to apathy. And even when we feel regret and strive with all of our might to do better, we still struggle with the same sins, oftentimes for our entire lives. And because of that, we deserve to experience the loss that Paul warns us about in verse 9. We deserve an eternity of death and regret. But the good news is that there is one who has lived and died on our behalf. He's the only one who could ever truly write on his arm, no regrets. He never wronged a friend so as to feel a connection regret. He never acted unwisely or self-indulgently so as to feel foundation regret. He never had a fear of man so as to feel a boldness regret. Unlike the Corinthian church who failed to have these difficult conversations with the one who did the wrong, Jesus spoke truth even when it was hard. He called people to repentance even as they tried to kill him. And unlike the Corinthian church who failed to punish wrong, Jesus does not fail to punish wrong. But because he so longs for you, he took the punishment that you deserve. He suffered that loss that we might gain life. And because he did that, if you turn to him, he will forgive all your regrets. Your connection regrets, your moral regrets, your small regrets, your biggest unspeakable regrets. He paid for them all on the cross. And not only that, but he will also work in you a godly regret. Instead of no regrets, he will tattoo upon your heart a godly regret that leads to salvation without regret. Let's pray. God, we come to you today filled with all kinds of regrets. We confess that we have sinned against you and against others, oftentimes in ways that we dare not even speak out loud. Thank you that we can come to you with all our regrets and we see forgiveness through the death of your Son. Thank you for your abundant love for us, deeper than we can ever even know. Teach us to come to you with our regrets. And in your mercy, give us your Spirit to change our hearts that we might experience salvation without regret. Amen.